0: Hello everyone and welcome to today's webinar titled How to Use A3 Thinking in Everyday Life. My name is Clint Corley. I'm an Enterprise Account Executive at KaiNexus and I will be your moderator. I am very excited about our topic today of A3 thinking. We deal with A3 thinking on a daily basis here at KaiNexus and it's something most all of our customers use as well. So I'm looking forward to learning more. I am even more excited to introduce our presenter today, Jess Orr, I've known and have been working with Jess for several months now and know her to be very knowledgeable in all things lean and continuous improvement. Currently, she is a continuous improvement practitioner at West Rock. She's the founder of Yokoten Learning and has over 10 years of industry experience, including time spent at Toyota, where she received the Toyota Business Practices Certification that was due largely, largely in part of her leading the charge to reduce defects in Camry supply parts. She has a bachelor's in mechanical engineering from Virginia Tech, go Hokies, loves A3, and on a personal note, claims she's a serial introvert, though I believe, as we'll see today, the jury is still out on that one. Uh, Without further ado, Jess, please take it away.
1: Well, thank you, Clint. I'm very excited to be here today um, presenting this Kinexus webinar with you. Um, I'm passionate about continuous learning, and Kinexus webinars have really helped me on that journey, so I'm kind of hoping to give back a little bit in that regard. Um, the listeners, obviously, if you're here, you're also passionate about learning as well, so I commend you for that, and I hope to add value to you today by talking about a topic I'm very interested in, A3 thinking, and you know, you're my customer, so if you've got any questions at all or seek any clarity, um, please you know, enter your, we'll get to as many as we can, and always feel free to contact me, I'll give my contact information at the end of the webinar if there's anything I can help um, help uh, explain for you. All right, so A3s. Now, Over the course of my career, I've been doing continuous improvement for about 10 years or so. I've used dozens of A3s, um, and generally I've had some really good results. So like Clint mentioned, the Camry defect from supplied parts, we were able to reduce that by over 75%, and it was a chronic issue that we'd been dealing with for years, and that really was through the power of A3 thinking. Recently, I used an A3 um, to help save over 200 jobs um, by engaging our workforce in continuous improvement. Um, That's a story for another time. But to be honest with you, in full transparency, I learned the most about A3 thinking through a failure that I had. So this failure really showed me um, why discipline and following the process is so critical. Um, A3s are not difficult or complicated. Um, It's kind of like exercise. We all know that it's good that we're supposed to do it, but you know, five o'clock comes around on a winter morning, it sure is hard to get out of bed, right? So A3s are kind of like that. Um, As humans, we don't naturally follow kind of a very disciplined problem solving process and A3s really do take a lot of discipline. But if I can really communicate one thing to you all today is that A3 is much more than a tool. So if you just check the boxes, that's not what A3 thinking is about. It's about this whole mindset around problem solving. And I'm gonna unpack that for you a little bit. So A3s in and of themselves, um, they're not what's special, right? It's about how we use them. So through this, this failure that I had with this A3, I gained so much knowledge about what can go wrong in the process, some common pitfalls. And I mean, despite the fact that, you know, I learned A3s from Toyota where, you know, Toyota business practices, which is basically A3 thinking where it originated. I still made some of these common mistakes, so I'm still improving. I'm still learning as a practitioner, but the good news is is I'm going to use some of these mistakes. Um, I've already reflected on them myself and learned from them, but I'm also going to share some of them with you in hopes that you can avoid some of the common pitfalls that I made. All right, so what are we going to learn today? We're going to talk about the what and why. So what is an A3? What, What are we talking about here? Why is it so powerful. Um, We'll talk about A3 versus other problem-solving methods, so things like PDCA, Plan Do, Check Act, DMAIC. Where does A3 fit among all these other problem-solving methods? We're going to unpack A3s and break down the process by using an example of a real-life A3 that I used um, with with a problem with my communication skills, and we'll talk about that. And The purpose of that is I want to show you how to build an A3 by building one with me, one that I actually used. And then for the conclusion, I want you to have some tangible actions that you can take away from this webinar, things that you can use in your everyday life to apply A3 thinking to. Uh, we'll talk about some resources. So, in this webinar, if you're familiar with A3s, we're not going to dig into a lot of the nuance of A3s. There's certainly, there's been books written about that. Um, we don't have enough time to do that, and I really want to make this a very simple kind of overview of A3s, and I think it's enough where you can apply it. But if you're interested in more information, we've got some great re- resources that you can look at as well. And then we'll roll into our announcements, and then we'll we'll cover some of your questions. All right, so A3 thinking, what and why? So A3 thinking is a disciplined, proven, problem-solving methodology. It's been around for decades. Um, It's very well known in, in many industries, and frankly, it works. It's got a pretty good hit rate. So, the A3 itself refers to the size of the sheet of paper that's used. So, this sheet of paper is used as a tool for both collaboration with the team and also communication. So, anyone at any point in time can see where you're at in the problem solving process. Now, I get people ask me sometimes, you know, they're like, my, my, my printer doesn't print out legal size paper very well, what do I do? I say, print it out on an eight and a half by 11. It doesn't matter, okay? So the size of the piece of paper doesn't matter. What matters is that you're following the A3 method and process. And it is derived from something called the Toyota Business Practices, or TBP. That's where I learned it. And I was an engineering, quality engineering at Toyota, and all of the engineers in that department had to be certified on TBP. So you'd actually have to go before a panel of managers, and you'd have to present your A3, and they would critique, you know, tell you, you need to go back and work on this, and then come back to us, do another panel. So it was this iterative process, very robust, um, where I learned A3s. So the benefits. Again, I mentioned, you know, we as humans, uh, we tend to jump to conclusions, or at least I know that I do. Um, A3 thinking really forces you to slow down um, and to follow this disciplined problem-solving methodology. That, that's really one of the biggest benefits. It's very adaptable to many applications in many industries. So, although I learned A3s in automotive, um, I apply them now in the paper and packaging industry that I work in. I know that they're used in software and IT and healthcare. And as we'll see, um, I think there's definitely opportunity to use them in our personal lives as well. So another benefit is that encourages collaboration and teamwork so there's no such thing as a lone ranger a3 you don't make a3s at your desk you don't make them by yourself you form a team that's one of the first things that you do when you're building an a3 and that's really a critical part of why my a3s have been so successful except for that one that we failed that i failed at but we'll talk about that all right and finally the the biggest impact the biggest benefit of a3s is that they work Um, when they're done correctly, when you follow the pros- process with integrity and with discipline, you're very likely to land on effective and sustainable countermeasures. So that is another extreme benefit of A3s. All right, so A3 versus other problem-solving methods. So you may not know it, but actually I would, I would wager that everyone who's listening to this webinar has seen the A3 process before. And why do I say that? Well, if you remember from grade school where we talked about the scientific method, you know, so just to refresh, because if you're like me, you probably don't remember everything you learned in grade school. Um, but the scientific method, right, we start with a question. We We form a hypothesis about what the answer might be. We test that hypothesis, and then we draw conclusions from it. So similarly, A3 thinking uses that same process, so I want you to think about problems as being on a spectrum of complexity. So on the right-hand side of the spectrum, you've got your low complexity problems. So these are ones where we, we maybe we know what the solution is already, or we could use you know a single PDCA or PDSA. So PDSA is plan, do, study, adjust. It's it's basically a different way of saying PDCA. Um, so it's a very simple problem. So an example of that might be. We can't find our tools at our workplace. It's very disorganized and we can't get our work done because we don't know where our tools are. Sounds like a case of the missing 5S. Um, Do we need an A3 for that? Probably not. Um, Another example might be, we've had five customer complaints this month about a known software issue, a bug in our system. Probably need to go fix the bug, right? We need an A3, probably not. So thinking is still required, use some common sense. And then on the right hand side of this complexity spectrum, if you will, is your high complexity problems. So these are things like, we're having a mating component fitting issues due to a tolerance stack up. And I did have a couple of those at Toyota. And that, that's a very highly complex problem You might want to use a tool more like DMAIC, which is for the Six Sigma, folks probably are familiar with that, but that's a define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. So again, it's built from the scientific method, um, but it's a bit more of an advanced tool. Um, Another example where you might want to use a more advanced tool would be like optimizing your hospital staff scheduling based on your historical patient needs. Okay, so things that's going to require a lot more documentation than just the single sheet of paper. It's not that you can't use A3s on these types of problems. I have, but there might be a, a tool that might be a bit of a better approach than A3, but certainly the thinking method still applies. So I would, I would wager to say that most problems fall in the middle of the spectrum. So you've got these medium complexity problems. So an example of a problem like this might be, we wanna reduce the amount of rework in an assembly process, or we wanna increase the accuracy of certain types of pricing estimates. So they're, they're kind of, we don't really know what the solution is, it's not a just do it, but the problem scopes with that, we can probably solve it with 1A3. And we'll talk a little bit about scoping here. But the key point here is there you know, there's kind of this classic, you know, lean versus Six Sigma, that whole debate. The approaches really are complementary. And what's most important is that you follow a disciplined, structured process. The tool is far less important. Um, But I do think that A3 thinking provides a really good foundation for for most problems. All right, so when is A3 problem-solving appropriate? When do we know that we need to pull out an A3? So some companies will say every problem that you have requires an A3. And I disagree with that. It's not a blanket solution. So we, again, thinking is still required. So, you know, make sure that this makes sense. Um, if we can't solve it with just a Just Do It or a simple Kaizen approach or a short cycle PDCA, um, it might be time for an A3. What's really important is that the solution is not already known. And if you think you know what the solution is, I would, I would encourage you to check your premise that you actually know what that solution is. Um, but if we know, like for the case of the missing five 5S, we, we have a pretty good idea of what we need to do. You probably don't need an A3. So this is important. You need to have leadership support and a sense of urgency around the problem. So your problem needs to be linked to, you know, so for example, your strategic goals from maybe you do Hoshin Conry and this kind of cascades down for that. There's got to be a lot of priority around this is the problem that we need to solve right now. What we don't want to have happen is to start in A3 and it kind of lags on and we never actually finish it because there's not a sense of urgency around that problem. Again, we talked about the problem's not too complex or we need a more advanced tool. And I like this, this quote from Einstein. He said that the problem should be solved, should be as simple as possible, but no simpler. So we wanna scope the problem appropriately. You know, if we try to say something like, we want to reduce the defects in our facility by 75% within a month, and it's probably not scoped appropriately. It's probably um, a little bit beyond what you're gonna be able to accomplish with a single A3 but maybe we could do something like reducing it by 25% in three months, right? So it's scoped a little bit more appropriately. So I applied a little scientific uh, think method here, and I said, my hypothesis is if these A3s work so well in my work environment, why don't I apply them to a problem that I'm having in my everyday life, right? The process, if the process works, it should work in everyday life. So we'll see how well that worked out. All right, so what does an actual completed A3 kind of look like? So, key point here is that the template that you use is not as important as the process. And especially what I want to encourage you is don't go ahead and solve the problem and then go fill out the template. Okay, that's not the appropriate use of the A3. So, the template is a tool that's really guiding you through the process. And you can modify the template as you need to, to fit the problem that you're trying to solve, as long as you follow the general problem-solving steps. So having said that, here's an example of a template. So you can see here, this is a visual storyboard. You go steps one through seven, and for some of you may have heard of the eight-step problem-solving method. You might be saying right now, hey Jess, what's going on here? There's only seven steps. What I've done, I found it works for me is I condensed step two and three, applied a little 5S, removed the waste there. But I, um, I actually moved the identifying the current and target conditions. Those are normally separated and I actually just condensed those together and did them at the same time. Works for me. If it doesn't work for you, go ahead and break those out. All right, so high level A3 process, and we're going to unpack each one of these steps one by one. So the first thing that we're going to do is we're gonna define the problem. we right, we're gonna identify our current state condition and our target condition. What is our goal? What are we trying to achieve? And then we're going to analyze for our root causes. Now I will tell you steps one, two, and three are the most critical ones. You will probably spend 60 to 75% of your time when you're doing the A3, if you're doing it correctly on these first three steps. You kind of have to go slow to go fast. Next, um, once we've identified our root causes, we're gonna experiment with countermeasures. So that experiment word is pretty important. So we're gonna actually be evaluating the results as we try different countermeasures through this experimentation process. All right, we're gonna evaluate our results. So we're gonna compare that to our initial condition and our target condition. And I see a lot of A3s fail at step six. So we get a lot of excitement around, we're gonna implement these countermeasures, the results are great, yay, but we don't actually sustain the gains, right? So three months later, we're back to where we started. I don't know about you, I don't want to do the same A3 on the same problem um, every six months. That's not not really what I want to do. So sustaining the gains is very important. I do see a lot of A3s that don't have step seven. I think this is pretty important because every A3 that I do, I learn something about the process, um, a way that I can make it better. So really a reflection on how the process went, what went well, what can be improved is really important. All right, so let's unpack each one of these steps. All right, Einstein's showing up here again. I love this quote from him. If I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes thinking about solutions. To me, that means that if I really delve deep to understand the current situation, understand the problem itself, really just get very familiar with it. The solutions are almost the easy part. All right, once you've got a firm grasp of the problem, make sure you use the voice of your customer. You know, understand what is the problem from their perspective, right? So this is where you might wanna bring someone from the customer, someone from the, the next process, because the customer can be internal or external, onto your team as well, so they can give you your perspective. So don't rely on assumption of your knowledge of the problem. Um, at Toyota, we have this saying called Genchi Genbutsu, which I always uh, I kind of remember by, get your boots on. So that means that you have to go out and see the problem to truly understand it. Remember, when we're in this phase, we're not identifying solutions. Okay, we're going to do that later. Right now, we're just trying to understand what the problem is, get our heads wrapped around it. Alright, so here's an example of a problem statement I would say is no good. And I, I, have, I coach many of my, my green belts and I often see these in their problem statements and I say eh, that's, that's not truly a problem statement. So the problem statement that's a problematic is need to reduce our delayed shipments through purchase of digital equipment. So you can see here we've kind of jumped already to the solution. This is how we're gonna reduce our delayed shipments by purchasing this digital equipment that makes us more agile and flexible. We don't know that that's the solution yet, right? That's not A3 thinking, we don't jump ahead to that step. So here's a better, same problem, but a better way of thinking of it. We've got a six month spike in our customer complaints of late shipments and a rise in internal expedite shipping fees. There's no solution in that problem statement, just the problem. All right, so we'll talk about my problem statement. So one thing I like to emphasize with A3s is it's not about creating a pretty document. So I've seen plenty of handwritten A3s and that's actually what I did with this one. Um, it's not that I don't know how to use PowerPoint or Excel. Unfortunately, I do use them a little too much, um, but it's more about showing you that it really is function over form. So I'm not an artist, I'll tell you that ahead of time. I'm an engineer, so you know some of these sketches are a little rough. All right. So the problem that I was having was basically very difficult communication skills. Um, I'm, so I'm an engineer. Communication, words, all that stuff its not really my natural thing. You know, I'd rather work with math all day long. But, you know, I have to work with people. So I need to have good communication. And I have worked on it throughout the years and I've gotten much better at it. But something happened um, last year, and I was just having some horrible communication problems. Um, It got so bad that at one point, three people walked away from conversations with me thinking that I was um, thinking about leaving my job. And for those of you that know me, like, I love my job. I love my company. I would never mean that. But I was communicating so poorly that that was what they were assuming I meant, So clearly this is a big problem in my life. I was like, all right, I'm going to pull out an A3, see what I can do about this. And going back to defining the problem, um, one of the ways that I failed um, with that project that I was telling you about was that we weren't really clear on what the problem was. So the situation was this, we had taken a survey of leadership and they had indicated that there were some gaps in our decision-making process. And um, we didn't really even know what decisions they we were referring to. Uh, the gaps were around speed and effort, but were they actually involved in those decisions? You know, that was in surveys, as many of you know, kind of they're not really great sources of data. They can be very unreliable. So we had this very fuzzy gray problem statement to begin with. And if I could go back and do it again, I really would have scoped that more appropriately try to understand what the problem was a little bit better. So we kind of set ourselves up to to not have a great A3 right from the get-go. All right, so we want to identify our current and target condition. So key point here is that we want to have quantifiable metrics by which to measure improvement. So we don't want to have the subjective, yeah, I think the process got better. Slow down here, if you don't have some kind of metrics by which to gauge success, figure out how you can get them. And communication skills is a different one to measure, difficult one to measure. I think I was able to do that, and I'll show you how here in a moment. If you got something like rework percentage, that's pretty easy. Um, but sometimes you do have to get a little creative. But if we can't measure it, we can't be certain that we've improved it. This is really critical. We we use data to really guide us in terms of evaluating whether or not our improvements worked. When we set our target. We want it to be realistic and time-oriented. Most of you have probably heard of SMART goals, you know, we want to use that its something that's very um, measurable and able to be achieved within a certain period of time. We want to have quantitative data when possible, but we can use qualitative if we need to. So remember, what we're trying to do here is pick up on if there is an improvement. So qualitative data can do that sometimes, you know, things like ranking systems or customer feedback. It's not preferable, but if that's all you've got, you can work with that. The bottom line is you need to be able to trust the data and to know that your data is indicative of how your process that you're trying to improve is performing. So I always encourage my belts and, and myself, you know, go out and watch the data being measured, being captured. Make sure you understand that system. You might pick up on something um, that's important as you're investigating this process, but you need to be able to trust the data. So here's what I did. And in my reflection, I think there's a couple of things I could have done differently in terms of the data system that I used, but I used something I call the communication score. So it was an online test. I think it had 25, 30 questions and you would get a score at the end on your communication skills. Now, some of you might be looking at this with a little skepticism, saying, "Well, can't you game that to get a good score?" Yeah, I could, but is that going to help me if I'm gaming gaming that score? Right. So I was I tried to be very truthful when I was answering it. So I got a score of 69 out of 100, and I decided that a 25 about a 25 percent improvement would be acceptable. That that's what, what my goal would be. I felt like that was a realistic target. Now, this second measure, I feel like is actually pretty effective. So it's the percent of miscommunications per opportunity. And I called an opportunity a crucial conversation. So anytime I had a crucial conversation during this period of time while I was capturing data, I would check with the person I was having the conversation with at the end and see if they actually received the message that I intended to give to them. And twenty two percent of the time they did not. So that was definitely a problem. And I actually set a pretty aggressive goal there because I said, that's just not acceptable. I'd like to get down to 5%. And that is a, that is a pretty aggressive goal, um, but that's the stretch target that I set for myself. And you can adjust these goals, too, as you go through the process. You may find that you know the goal wasn't aggressive enough. We need to raise the standard a little bit. We'll talk about that. All right, this is the portion of the A3 where you really need to slow down. And don't be afraid to not move forward until you feel very good about this section, your analysis of the problem. So we're trying to find root causes. And what I like to do is I, and I did this with this A3 is, you know, I bring my team together and we talk about it. We say, all right, here's the problem that we're having. Here's where we wanna get to. What do you guys think some of the potential root causes might be? And there's a number of tools that you can use for root cause analysis. Two of the most common ones that we see with A3s are the five whys and fishbone diagrams. Fishbone diagrams are a little bit more advanced, so I'm not going to cover them here, but I did use the five whys. And so for those of you who haven't seen the five whys before, it's basically asking why every time you go through a root cause and I'll show you how we do that until you drill down to the actual root cause where it doesn't make sense to ask why anymore and you don't have to use five um, but generally speaking you want to use enough whys until you get down to that root cause and I'll show you how I did that. We're going to prioritize those root causes so you may do this process fishbone diagram whatever you choose to use and you find you've got six or seven root causes different root causes you're probably not gonna be able to fix all of them. So I like to prioritize them based on how likely I am to fix them, the impact that they might be having, the frequency with which they occur. You know, use whatever prioritization or you can even just vote with your team which ones you wanna attack. All right, so the first one, first problem that I was having related to communication skills was jumping to conclusions. I think we've all had this at different periods in our lives. So for those of you who follow like the Myers-Briggs personality types, I'm an INTJ, and I won't go through each one of those letters except to say that the J stands for judging. So that's not judgmental, although I can be sometimes. But the judging aspect means that I am the kind of person who likes to come to a decision and move on. So I don't like to explore things endlessly, trying to gather information. At some point, I like to say, this is what we're doing, we're going to move on. And that's okay. Um, we definitely need people like that in the world, as well as the, the other types, which is perceiving. However, I was jumping to this judging stage, but not taking the time to understand what the current condition was. So I was just going straight to judging. And the reason, so I asked, why was I doing that? Well, I wasn't putting priority on understanding the situation first and getting feedback. Now, I could stop here and say, well, I just need to prioritize understanding first. That's clearly the solution. Um, No, that's not. We've got to back up a little bit and, and ask why again. So the reason I was doing that is because new information is very difficult for me because it requires me to adjust that mental model that I've got. I've got these very elaborate mental models, and sometimes they're accurate, you know, based on the information I have. But if I don't have all the information, I've got to rebuild that, and that's very difficult. So I won't go through this next one. I'll let you read it. But I will go through this one, this final one, just to show you again how we go through the five whys process. So I have especially poor communication when I'm stressed. Well, why is that? Well, my fight or flight thinking overrules my rational thinking, right? Saber-toothed tiger is chasing me, fight or flight, except a saber tooth tiger is not chasing me. So I need to engage my rational thinking. So why am I not doing that? Well, I'm not always aware when I'm stressed and then I'm not using my cognitive brain. And well, why is that? Well, I assume that my analysis is okay because normally it is. When I'm not stressed, I'm um, thinking is one of my strengths, logical thinking. So I assumed that it was probably okay and it wasn't. Um, so I really need to understand when I'm stressed and to counteract that, and to engage my rational brain again. All right, so we've got our root causes. At this point, because I spent so much time on trying to understand these root causes and digging down, the solutions kind of started to reveal themselves throughout this process. So we're gonna experiment with countermeasures. We're gonna brainstorm, prioritize with our team. So I talked with my team, what are some things you think I can do to kind of counteract this? Be careful that not to change too much at once, right? We don't wanna confound these factors. We're not really sure what, what changed and what had an impact on the result. So be careful, change you know, one or two things at a time. Evaluate the initial results and adjust as needed. So as you go through this process, you're gonna find things that don't work, that's okay. You know, Regroup, decide how you're gonna tackle it next. So these are the countermeasures that I identified and I kind of used a circle triangle X um, technique to rate whether or not they worked. And I relied heavily on feedback from others, right? And that's really important in this process. But a couple of things that stuck out to me here was using the Socratic method to understand the current situation. So for those of you not familiar with the Socratic method, it's really a way of using questions to guide the conversation where you're having this like mutual exploration with the person that you're having the conversation with. And what that did was it helped me to update my mental model in real time with that person while I was exploring the current situation. It was extremely effective, not only with these crucial conversations, but also with the coaching that I do with my belts, too. And then finally, another countermeasure that worked very well. And again, you can see some in here that didn't work as well. They had some limited impact. Um, but when I was stressed, to create a space between the stimulus and the response. So I had to learn to don't have those crucial conversations, right, when I'm under stress. You know. Give it some time. Think about it overnight. There was a few times where I'd write an email and I'd be like, all right, I'm going to wait because I know I'm stressed. And then I'll look at the email tomorrow and I look at it the next morning. I'm like, thank goodness I didn't send that email. Right. So that was very impactful for me and very helpful. And I asked Shane, my husband, to help hold me accountable to that. So again, these are multiple cycles of PDCA. You're going to plan. You're going to do. You're going to check. You're going to act. You can do this over and over again until you find solutions that work. And if you've done a deep understanding of the problem, this phase should be relatively easy. All right, we're gonna evaluate the impact on the results. So using the same measurement system that you did to identify your current state and your target, you're gonna measure the results and see how you're doing. You're gonna use the outcome of those results to determine your next steps. You know, If you're not having an impact on those, those metrics, obviously you need to go back and try something different. All right, so here's the results that I had from these countermeasures I implied. I saw a 19% improvement in the communication score. And even though I didn't reach my target, I still felt pretty good about that. So I had almost a 20% gain. I wouldn't call this a failure by any means. But it does tell me I still have some opportunity for some more PDCA cycles to get to that target. And the percent miscommunications for opportunity. I saw a drop from 22% down to 7%. So I'm pretty happy about that too. But again, I still have work to do, but overall, I'm going to call that a win. All right, sustaining the gain. So this is very important. So we want to continue to monitor that data on a regular frequency, those results. Um, We're looking for changes, we're looking for triggers. When do we need to reevaluate our countermeasures? How are we going to make sure that we keep the countermeasures that worked in place? So for those of you who are aware of statistical process control, SPC, control charts are a great way here to, to look and see where those trigger points need to be. So here for my control plan, um, I've got things like I do a weekly check-in to get that feedback on a, on a regular basis. Um, that communication test, I take one once a month to see how I'm doing. If I get a score less than 80 points, that's triggering me that I need to look at my countermeasures again. Am I using discipline in the Socratic method, things like that. And if I had to redo this over, as far as creating space between the stimulus and the response. I think that not having any stress-based reaction is probably not reasonable. I might say not having any crucial conversations when I'm stressed might be a better one. So key point here, your A3 is a living document. As I've gone through this and preparing for this webinar, I've actually seen some things where I'm like, I'm going to change that. I might do that a little bit differently. That's pretty normal. All right. So we reflect on the process. So at Toyota, we call this Hanse. So after every A3, we would always reflect, you know, what went well, what didn't, but it's even more than that. So Yokoten is this word that means spreading, you know, spreading continuous improvement or best practices So if we made an improvement on Camry, this actually happened with the defect that I spoke about earlier. One of the first questions I knew I was going to get every time would be, have you looked at doing that on Avalon? So we want to look at where we can replicate. And in this situation, maybe someone else I know is struggling with communication. It's not that this is a cut and paste solution for them, but there might be some elements of it that they could take that might be helpful for them as well. So what went very well, um, I got 360-degree feedback, really some honest feedback from my coworkers and friends about my communication method that was very critical. Um, my boss, um, Shannon, she really helped me understand my resistance to changing my mental models. Um, she said, you've got these, these great models in your head, but you're really reluctant to change them when they're not accurate. And that really was very very eye-opening for me. As far as where to improve a couple of these, I think I talked about that communication score, the test I took, I think I would have incorporated some other external feedback into that score as well. Um, I definitely think that would have helped. And then another thing where I may may not have drilled down deep enough into the root cause, so that stress-based reaction, you know, why am I getting so stressed to begin with? Right? How do I actually manage that stress so I don't have to worry about that causing a negative reaction for me? I think I could have dug a little bit deeper on that root cause. So that's really helping me. The next time I run an A3, I'm going to try to remember to choose discipline when doing that. All right. So what does the completed storyboard look like? I'm in my office. I'm actually looking at it right now. I'll warn you, it's, it's not pretty, but that's not the point, right? The point is that we've got an effective um, process by which to solve the problem. So this is the completed storyboard. I apologize for the, the illustrations here. They're a little rough, but all right. So some do's and don'ts of A3 thinking, some key takeaways here. So remember, the right process is going to lead you to the right results. When you get into that A3 and you start doing those experimentation cycles and the first couple of experiments don't go so well, keep trusting the process. Go back to your team, reevaluate, look at your root causes. Is there a better way to solve these? Did we get to the root causes? I promise you that if you follow this process with rigor and really try to have discipline in going through the steps, it will work. It really does. Always seek a deep understanding of the problem. That is really critical. If you've got to go slow to to really understand this part before you speed up into the countermeasures, it's going to benefit you. So take time to really understand the problem that you're trying to solve. It's really important, and this is hard for me because I like to jump to conclusions, as we've learned, but you've got to be a detective and you've got to try to investigate as you're going through this. Let the data drive um, your decisions, you know, explore a little bit, try to understand, you know, what's working and what's not working. And again, we talked about this, but sustain the gains. This is very important. Um, don't think that A3 is just one size fits all, and that you can just go ahead and apply it to every problem. Sometimes it's appropriate, and sometimes it's not. Um, thinking is still required. And also, don't focus just on the tool. This is not a check-the-box, go through the steps, follow the motions, and you're going to get the results that you want. You know, follow the, think about the method or the thought process behind this. That's what's most important. Less so the template or the tool. I've really had to work at this because I tend to prefer to work alone, but you've really got to harness the power of the team. Um, You've got blind spots. We all do. You've got bias and really working with the team is going to help you uncover some things that you wouldn't before. So I certainly learned from that and I've got many people to thank for their help with this uh, communication problem that I was having. Don't jump to your root cause or solution. I see this happen all the time where people jump to, this is how we're gonna fix this problem. Make sure you go through the process before you get to that. Don't skip any of the steps. You know, you can kind of modify them a little bit as needed, but you need to maintain discipline as you're going through this process. So how you can apply A3 thinking in your life. So some takeaways for you. So first thing you can do, Just think about a chronic issue that you're having in your life. So it might be something like weight management or you you could use a strategic A3 for something like where you want your career to go, which I've done. Or one of the problems that I've been having lately is I like to play video games. Um, I play, I'm a big halo uh gamer and i keep getting my butt kicked by these 12 year olds man and i don't know what to do about it so i may have to pull out an a3 and i'm kind of only half joking about that because it's getting really frustrating so we'll see stay tuned for the next webinar on how to improve your halo skills but take some time to deeply understand your problem right so make sure you're talking to other people go to the gemba the place where the problem is happening take time to sit with it and really deeply understand it uh, collaborate with your team. Brainstorm root causes and prioritize. Identify potential countermeasures. Again, do this with your team. How, how? What are some things that have worked in your life when you're doing this? Or, you know, what are some things other people have tried? Use these multiple PDCA cycles to experiment, evaluate, and repeat. And remember to sustain the gains. And if there's one thing I want you to take away, um, is that it's okay to fail with A3s. I certainly learned a lot through my failure. Don't be afraid to try it. It doesn't have to be perfect your first time. It won't be perfect your first time. I'm probably on my 25th A3, and I'm still, they're not perfect every time I learn something. You know, they say fall seven times, you know, get up eight. And that really applies to A3 thinking as well. Don't be afraid to go out and try it and see if it works for you. And Ron Pereira of Gemba Academy likes to say this a lot, and I completely agree with him. So you remember how I didn't reach those targets that I had set with my A3. Does that mean that the A3 wasn't successful? I don't think so. I made some really important gains. I've still got opportunity to improve, but it's progress over perfection. All right, so some additional resources for those of you who are intrigued to learn more about A3s. So the first one is Managing to Learn by John Shook. Um, This is a book that they actually gave out to all of the engineers in the quality engineering department as mandatory reading um, at Toyota. It's a great book. It kind of follows a story format. It's a really fun read, so I'd encourage you to to grab that one. Um, Karen Martin's got a number of great A3 webinars that are available on, on YouTube and on her website, which we got the link here. Um, the Toyota Engagement Equation by Tracy and Ernie Richardson really talks about um, the kind of the culture of A3 thinking. It's far more than a tool at Toyota. They call it Toyota Business Practices because it really is part of their DNA. So that's a great research uh, resource. And then if you're interested in more the PDSA, the Plan, Do, Study, Adjust, uh, Mark Graven's Lean blog has got some great information about that. So we're going to get to some questions here in a moment. If we're not able to get to your question, I encourage you to reach out to me or anything related to continuous improvement. I love connecting with other people. Um, You can reach me on my website, which is yokotenlearning.com. So that's learning.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. I've got my email here as well. And then I recommend, you may want to, if you're interested, I know these aren't about A3s in particular, I've had a couple of GEMBA Academy interviews, and in general, I strongly recommend GEMBA Academy for continuous um, improvement learning. They've really helped me tremendously in my journey as well. So thank you all for your time. We're going to transition into some announcements, and then we'll get to your questions.
0: Jess, thank you so much for the time and thank you so much for the presentation. We do have some questions coming in. Uh, we'll get to those here in just a few moments. Uh, real quick before we get there, guys, just a few quick and brief announcements. Our next Ask Us Anything webinar is going to be hosted by Mark Graven and Dr. Greg Jacobson. going to be on February the 13th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can register and submit questions via the link provided here, kinexus.com slash webinars. And, of course, the past past episodes are available on youtube our next presentation webinar uh, is going to be on february 19th at a time to be determined still uh, it is titled how a lean adoption strategy for public schools applies to everyone it's going to be presented by harry kenworthy the author of lean government now this will actually be the second webinar that he has presented on on lean government with us as always you can visit the KyneXus website And uh, follow the KaiNexus Continuous Improvement blog and, of course, subscribe to the KaiNexus Continuous Improvement podcast via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or however else the kids are doing it these days. Um, Jess, have some questions. Are you ready? I'm
1: ready. Let's do this.
0: All right, great. So, first question that came in was, how much education does one need to provide the team prior to completing an A3? So, I guess... You know, what level of knowledge does, do teammates and team members need to have? What level of knowledge does uh, the leader of the, the A3 need to have? Are they different? Uh, just kind of expand on that.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question. So what I would recommend not doing is showing them the A3 template right away. Um, that tends to kind of overwhelm people and they're like, oh, gosh, I have these seven or eight steps I got to go through. I don't really understand each one. I found what I found more successful is um, guiding them through the process step by step, so kind of giving them a whole high level overview of we're going to go through this problem solving process together, but I'm going to guide you step by step, kind of like we did in this webinar where I didn't show it to you all at once necessarily. The completed A3, but we kind of went through it and built it step by step. So I would recommend that. You don't want to intimidate them with the tool, but really focus on um, each process within each one of those steps.
0: Awesome. Great. Um, question number two, hey Jess, in the healthcare business, a little bit more, a little bit more specific here, but hey Jess, in the healthcare business, agencies like the FDA require a more detailed analysis, uh, rationale, impact analysis, et cetera, et cetera. And in some cases, complaints actually will go to a system called TrackWise. Uh, do you know if, if these agencies are accepting A3s to deal with, with customer complaints in that area? I know that's a little out of your wheelhouse maybe, but any, any light you can shed on that?
1: So I, it is outside of my wheelhouse, but I will say this. So an A3, the purpose of the A3 is not to provide a document showing, you know, here's all the steps that we did. That's certainly part of it. But the purpose of it is to guide your thinking throughout the process. So you need to get them whatever format they need, you know, in terms of um, what they need to show that you're problem solving, your root cause analysis, and your fix for the situation. You can use the A3 to guide you internally as you're going through that process. And then when you're done, I would externally get them whatever format they need. And I've done this before, too. So the A3 is really a tool for me to make sure I'm going through the, the process thinking process but remember we talked about how all of this kind of boils down to the scientific method mm-hmm. and I would guess that what they're looking for are things that conform to the scientific method as well they want to know did you look at the problem did you understand you know what your root cause was what happens you know what countermeasures how do you know you got to the true root cause and not a symptom what countermeasures did you put in place? How do we know that you're not going to have, you know, a defect or noncompliance again? So you can pull all that out of the A3 after you complete the A3 and put that into the format that they're looking at. And I've done that before without knowing their specific format. I'm assuming you can do that as well, but that's what I would recommend.
0: Great. Kind of ties into our next question of, of, of countermeasures here, a little bit more tactical in nature. But um, what do you do if you need... Additional actions, or, or maybe you get to the, towards the end of an A3 and there's um, some additional PDCA cycles that you need. There's no more space on your A3. Uh, what, what do you do at that point in time? Where do you go from there?
1: That's a good question. So, and, and it could be time-based as well, too. So we've gotten to the end of you know the three months, and we've made some great improvements, but we know we've got more to do. Like In my case, for example, my A3 is, is pretty full. I don't think I can get much more on there. Um, go ahead and do a child A3. So, you know, I made a 25% gain on my communication skills. I think I can get another 10% out of it. Go ahead and, and start another A3, you know, go through and, and define your problem. Okay, so this time when I'm going through it, the root causes that I found last time, maybe I've addressed some of them, or maybe I need to focus on one more than the others than I did. But I would encourage you to actually take a step back. Your process may have changed since you um, implemented the first A3 in the countermeasures. So go ahead and do a spinoff. A three, right? Go through this process again and incorporate some of these ideas that you have for your PDCA cycle. I would recommend doing that as opposed to just layering more PDCA on top of it, because again, your process may have changed and you may not pick up on that.
0: Gotcha, love it, love it. We'll, we'll count on you to give the more advanced child A three webinar here in the in the come in the coming months. Um, do, do you do a storyboard for every A three you complete? What is the value? in making a storyboard, and uh, do you do it during or after the A3 process is complete?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. I'm really glad someone asked this. So I never, never, um, there was one time that failed A3 where I kind of did the storyboard after we had done some of the steps and kind of, you know, backfilled it in, and that was definitely a mistake. So you want to create the storyboard as you're going through each step. So, as I'm doing the root cause analysis, I complete that section. The rest of it's blank. And then I do the countermeasures, I complete that section. And some people have asked me, you know, is this just kind of like industrial wallpaper? Why are we doing this? And it's a fair question. So, it's a couple of reasons. You know, again, the template's helping to guide you through the process. So, you know, if you have a blank section, you need to fill that out, right? Kind of managing by exception, if you will. But it's also a tool for the team to see what you've been doing. So at any point in time, I can show this A3 where I'm at in the process to any one of my team members and they can understand where we're at right now. So it's a visual tool for communication. And at the end, they may have ideas, too, as they're looking at, oh, did you think about this now that's kind of visually displayed for me? The reason why we want to have it on one sheet of paper like that is because really, generally speaking, only about 20% of the work that you do on the project is going to be the most critical information. And this really helps you to distill it down so it's digestible to people who are looking at it. Yeah. And the final reason for it is when you're done with the project, there's probably going to be opportunities for you to replicate or standardize this and now you've got a document that you can refer back to okay what did we do this time we're having a similar problem now what did we do last time that worked pretty well and let's you know maybe not that it's a cut and paste but let's see if we can apply that to this situation as well so I really encourage you don't think of the a3 storyboard as just being this kind of post process document It is a living document that you use to help guide you through the process
0: Awesome. Great, great, great. Uh, moving right along here, I've got a couple questions about, about engagement and just what are some of the best ways to engage team members and stakeholders around the A3 thinking process? And then uh, are there some good ways that you know of to really measure that level of engagement and kind of track towards, you know, are we progressing, are we
1: digressing? Um,
0: what are your thoughts there?
1: And we're getting a lot of good questions here. All right, so for this one, I kind of, I, as I would know, I was the first starting out as an engineer, I didn't do this very well. So I would kind of go into the A3 process. I would be the leader. So I would be the one who would be kind of, you know, guiding, no, more than guiding, I would really be kind of, um, kind of forcing what I thought the right way to do it was what I thought the root causes were. And the way that I found that's very effective is I really tried to take a backseat. When it comes to these. So, to give you a real example, so we, I would, with a team, I would actually, we'd go into a room and I'd say, I want everyone to write down on a post it note once we've identified what the root causes are. So, we know we've got these four root causes. So, I want everyone to write down on a post it note, you know, what they think some of the solutions might be. You know, some, what are some of the things we can do to fix this? So, everyone write it down on a post it note and we stick them all up on the wall. And we infinitize them. So, so a lot of times people tend to land on some of the same solutions. So we group all those together. And then, you know, as a team, we kind of talk and we do things like multivote or we all decide which ones we're going to try on. And I respect the team. So there's been times where they have picked solutions to try out that I disagreed with. And I will play devil's advocate a little bit. You know, I'll say, you know, have you considered this kind of using that Socratic method again, right? Mm -hmm. Have you thought through what the implications of this might be? And as long as they've thought through it, I will let them move forward with it because this is their process. And I'm, I'm helping to facilitate them. But ultimately, they're the owners of it. And I will tell you, every time I've done that, they've been right. So I'm like, I'm always happy at the end. I've been like, yeah, I was wrong. And the really the measure of engagement to answer that question is it's more subjective. But I look, is everyone in the room contributing, mm. right? And that's why the post-it notes kind of help because some people aren't comfortable speaking up in front of everyone else. And the post-it notes make it somewhat anonymous too. And I tell everyone, I'm like, I want you to write down at least two improvement ideas, right? And usually everyone can come up with that. So that's kind of how I measure engagement. It's more subjective, but is everybody talking and participating and as a facilitator there's tools that you can use you know hey you know sherry what do you think about this or maybe i'll go have a one-on-one with her if she's not comfortable talking in front of the whole group so there's kind of ways to do that but yeah definitely a team-based approach has worked uh, very well for me not only it's not just like teamwork makes the dream work kind of stuff it's more we get to better solutions that way i completely believe that
0: Love that. We, we do have a ton more questions. We're going to try to get to all of them. Just guys, if we don't get to your question, don't worry. We'll either do a follow up podcast and we'll make sure that we get all the questions answered and sent out uh, to everyone. Just this next question is just, I love this next question. Do you always use paper and pencil A3s or do you use any electronic version? If so, what format and what is your experience with that format?
1: yeah, it's a good question too. so i I like the paper and pencil ones, especially when you can post them up where everybody can look at it and write on it, write on it. Um, a lot of times I work with teams that are not always located together, or we can't always go to the same wall and look at the A3. So I just have, honestly, I just have a simple template in Excel. Um, you can make a template based on the one that you saw here in the webinar. Um, if you look, if you Google it, there's a lot of A3 templates out there. Just poke around until you find one that you like, you know, it could be a Word format, could be Excel. But remember what I said, right? It's less about the template, more about the process. So don't be go looking, oh, I found the perfect template. Therefore, this A3 is going to be a smashing success. Um, It's really about following the process. And the template is a secondary thing.
0: Gosh, I love that. And I'll give a shameless plug here. If you're looking for a fantastic electronic continuous improvement system, I've got one that'll blow your socks off. Um, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, next question here, when do you know when to stop on five whys, and how do you know you're asking the right why?
1: That's a good question. So you know when to stop. It's usually pretty evident when with the five whys on where to stop. It becomes almost absurd to continue at, along that path. So to give you an example – I said something to the effect of, you know, it's very difficult for me to have to update my mental models. Um, If I say, well, why is it difficult for me? I don't know. I was born that way. You can ask God why you made me like this. I'm not sure. You know, it just didn't kind of make sense to keep going down that path. So that's usually when I know to stop. But I will say that I usually will, that's where the power of the team comes in, because I've had one of my coworkers, another black belt, um, she's actually prompted me to keep digging a little bit deeper, and she was right. You know, I was, I was quick to want to stop at that. And there was a second half to that question. I don't remember what it was, Clint.
0: Yeah, the second half was, uh, how do you know when to stop asking five whys, and, and then how do you know you're asking the right whys? Like How do you know your whys are headed in the right direction and, and getting you closer to that end state?
1: So, one thing I like to look at is you can kind of go backwards with the five whys just to do a double check to make sure that it's kind of logically flowing. So, you can do, you'd start at the bottom of your root cause. You say, you know, I'm having difficulty with updating my mental models, therefore, I'm not um, asking for feedback, um, therefore, and then you keep going through that. So you actually go up the chain and make sure that makes sense, as well as going when you go down the chain, when you're doing the five Ys. So that's kind of my sanity check to Say, am I following this process correctly? I hope that answers the question. If it doesn't, um, feel free to, to kind of elaborate a little bit or reach out to me and we'll, we'll work through that together.
0: Great. So, so I think this, is a, this next question is a, a good one to end on. It's going to be a two-part question here. Um, how do we make sure that the future state goal is a, is a smart goal? Simple, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-driven. How, how do we make sure that the future state is smart? And what are some of the things we can do, we can do to avoid setting lofty goals or setting goals that are too low?
1: Yeah, this one is hard, especially for for engineers like me. And I'm guessing that the the questioner may have some kind of technical background because it's a little bit touchy-feely. What I like to do is I like to ask the team. So I say, what do you think is a reasonable goal that we can achieve in three months? And then I'll usually add 5% on top of that because I like to challenge them a little bit. But that's usually what I do. Or I might look historically, I say, all right, the last time I ran this A3, I'm doing a child A3. Say, the last time I did this, I got a 25% gain. I think I can get another 25% gain by going through this process again. So you want to you want to make it realistic. Um, again, it can be difficult. I like to go to whoever's kind of sponsoring the project or to the leadership. And I say, we'll say, what does success look like to you? And they'll usually tell me, they'll be like, well, I want a 50% reduction in defects. And I'll be like, well, how about 40%, right? And we'll go through this little negotiation process. Um, That's really how I typically try to set the goal. So it's really, it's customer driven. You know, what does the customer want? If we're having something like safety issues, um, The goal is going to be zero safety incidents. Like I I can't accept any other goal, honestly, than that. Mm. Are we going to get there? I hope so. Um, If not, we'll at least be closer to that goal. Great,
0: great. Um, Guys, I I think that was a great question to end on. We are rounding out the top of the hour here, so we do need to sign off. There are questions here that are unanswered. Guys, again, we will make sure that all these get answered and and get out to all the attendees uh, in, in one way or another. Jess, thank you so much again for presenting today. I absolutely loved it. To to all of our attendees, thank you guys for making this our largest webinar to date. That is incredibly exciting to be a part of. And then to everyone, keep on improving and enjoy the rest of your week.
1: Thank you, Clint. Enjoyed it. Thank you, everyone.